Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's April 57, 1748, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. When Mount Vesuvius, which the ancient Romans had thought to be a dormant volcano, erupted cataclysmically in AD 79, sorry Romans, the town of Pompeii was buried under tons of ash and rock and remained frozen in time until it was discovered almost entirely by chance by a surveying engineer on this day in 1748. The engineer was a Spanish surveyor called Joaquin de Alcubierre, who had already garnered some notice for discovering the ruins of Herculaneum nearby, and a farmer had come to him to report that there was a hollow on his land in an area that the locals just called La Civita, which means the settlement, the city, and he'd found bits of marble and artwork in it. And this obviously attracted Alcubierre's attention, and he went there to excavate himself and ended up stumbling upon the ruins of what it would actually take years to confirm Mm. were the remnants of Pompeii. But it's not like the signs weren't there. I mean, I know it's easy in retrospect, but why was there this huge gap between 79 and 1748 when in 1594 workmen employed to dig a tunnel which was designed to divert the waters of the River Sarno uncovered a Roman wall painting round there and then just thought... Yeah, leave that. We're not here for that. I've had builders like that. Yeah. You'd think if you find something that significant, it's worth just a mention. Oh, maybe, maybe Pompeii's under here. <laughs> then, in 1689, an inscription was found which referred to a town councillor of Pompeii. And people were just like, yeah, it could be Pompeii, but it could just be his villa. It could just be where he lived and not Pompeii. We'll leave it for another <laughs> nearly 100 years. I mean, it's just so weird. Yeah, so the thing is that in 1738, Charles VII had gained control of southern Italy and he established it as an autonomous monarchy. And one of the first things that he did was that he built a villa in Portici and decided to continue the excavation work in the area that had actually been begun by his predecessor. But his aim was really to just uncover the goodies and make off with them. So much so that he banned the exports of antiquities in 1755 after things really took off and tried to keep the excavations a secret. He was like, let's just keep this under wraps, guys. This is just between us, what we find under here. It's almost (laughs) like a crime against humanity in a way, isn't it? In terms of like the respect for the people that died under Mm. there in the hot lava. But also just the level of preserved antiquity down there and what it means for all humankind and civilization to just be like, let's keep this secret because I want some nice stuff for my museum is an obscene thing to do. The unprecedented preservation of the sites at Herculaneum and Pompeii did completely change the direction of archaeology. Because until then, it was really... Archaeology was often practised as glorified looting, with the goal being to glean artefacts to adorn the homes of the wealthy benefactors who were funding all these excavations. But without modern archaeological methods, and, you know, keeping in mind that 99.9% of sites are not going to be preserved anything like the way Pompeii was, you can see why the early archaeologists thought that that was basically all it was good for, in a way. And it was interesting if you were interested in Roman history history but at the same time everything was being funded by these wealthy aristocrats and at the end of the day they wanted you to come back with a big sack of marble sculptures and that could be seen in the process as well that Alcubierre used so yeah he had miners 
doing the digging, but also soldiers and prisoners to dig these ancient walls. It's not like modern-day archaeology at all, is it? And reference to our episode last week, the tunnel under the Thames, initial excavations were very dangerous as well because you had cramped tunnels there, poor air circulation, and they were all living in constant fear that the tunnel would collapse. So it wasn't really an academic pursuit. It was blood, sweat and tears. And then if you found an artefact, if it was like, oh, it's just, it's just a kid's shoe, it's a bit dusty, you just throw it in the bin. I mean, if it wasn't deemed worthy for Charles VII's museum at Portici, <laughs> it literally went in the bin. I mean, it really wasn't actually until the French control of Naples, which began in 1806, that the excavation methodology changed and they really started trying to annotate in fine detail what they were locating. And things got really professional under Giuseppe Fiorelli, who brought all of this previous haphazard digging to a halt in 1860. And he is really credited as being one of these early pioneers of contemporary archaeological technique. He started to dig from the top to the bottom, documenting as he went. And also he came up with the idea of putting uh, either cement or plaster into the hollows that were formed in the volcanic ash where the bodies had disintegrated. And it's through that technique that we have this really interesting, and in some cases tragic, legacy and picture of the positions that people adopted as the actual volcano came down on them. And one other thing that Fiorelli did is that he opened the site up to all visitors for an entrance fee. Before, it had really relied on, if you wanted to see Pompeii, you'd probably be a wealthy person, perhaps on the Grand Tour, and you'd have a private guide who would take you around. And so he really streamlined it into being this democratic, free-for-all tourist attraction, which went on to have pretty challenging consequences because Mm. the erosion from the sheer amount of visitors has been one of the biggest problems that's faced Pompeii. Those two things in tandem, actually, the creation of these plaster casts of the bodies and the opening up of the site to tourism are the two things that actually have made Pompeii the brand name for archaeological sites you can visit because Mm. those two things are the things that give it human interest, aren't they? You can go and touch this place. Literally, you still can, can't you, despite the erosion. Go and touch the walls where this terrible thing happened. And you can identify with human beings who were there at the moment that they died. Plus, there was also an archaeological movement that coincided with the excavations, which after all happened over hundreds of years, that advocated for reconstruction. And so there was a lot of stuff that was put back up for two reasons. One, so that we have a better view of what houses looked like, but also they put roofs back on top of these things so that it would prevent some of the damage that was being done to the site. But it means that things look much more like they were prior to the volcano erupting, because here's a street scene where there are houses that you can walk past, not just rubble and and chaos. There was also all of these preserved graffiti messages and there was political stuff and insults and declarations of love and advertisements. All of this just day-to-day stuff that had been etched into the sides of buildings that was then able to be seen. And I think that that was part of what captured people's imagination, as well as these little details. Like I saw this thing that a butchered giraffe bone was found there. And it turns out that in downtown Pompeii, there were lots of restaurants and there was food available in them that could only have have come from far-flung reaches of the empire and demonstrates this sort of capacity for trade and human engagement that speaks to 
I guess, something about our current time. You know, we love being able to go to a restaurant and have Ethiopian today and Italian tomorrow. And I think something about that really resonates with people too. And that level of preservation also helped pinpoint when exactly the eruption occurred, because before then, the major account of the eruption had been from Pliny the Younger, who'd given various dates in different manuscripts, but the one that had been sort of settled upon as the definite date was in August. But as they excavated more of Pompeii and as techniques became more refined, they realised that actually it probably didn't happen in August because some of the dead bodies had been dressed in really warm, thick clothing. There was the minting date of coins that had been found in their pockets, which put Hmm. it at a much later date. And there was even the remnants of the produce that had been for sale with things that could only have been on sale in autumn. So now they think it was actually probably October. One of the theories for why people had remained within Pompeii in spite of the fact that there was ash coming down was that the eruption occurred just after the festival of Vulcanalia, which was the annual celebration for the Roman gods of volcanoes. And so the Pompeians were interpreting the smoking and spurting mountain as being this sort of, oh, this is quite a good omen, instead of getting the heck out and running for their lives. But either way, people had chosen to stay. And accordingly, we've got all of these really interesting details. But because a lot of these stories about who these people people were and what they went through were being concocted during the Victorian era. We know that the Victorians really loved a good drama and they came up with these stories about, for example, there were two pregnant women who were found in the ash and there were these embracing lovers who became known as the two maidens. But modern CT scans have really debunked those stories. The pregnant women weren't pregnant and they weren't even women at all. And the two maidens were apparently also both men. (laughs) So there's lots of stuff that is coming out. And there is so much left to learn about life in Pompeii, not least because only between two thirds and three quarters of the city has been excavated. Yeah, apparently there's 44 of the 66 hectares of urban area currently visible, but it's been unanimously agreed that 22 hectares are going to be left under the debris in order to preserve them for future generations. Which is... they're still discovering stuff which is how we ended up with wanking man a few years back do you remember that yeah <laughs> there is a picture of a man who appears to be engaging in self-pleasure at the moment that he died the scientific consensus is uh, considerably more horrifying than that which is basically his arms and legs flexed due to heat and was contorted into a position that looks like he's uh, engaging in um, some self-love there's another one did you see pompey's unluckiest man who was someone who had managed to escape the first blast and then a giant rock fell on him oh <laughs> So you you can't see his head. You can see the rest of him. You can see the stone, which does sort of show how the old adage about tragedy plus time is right, isn't it? Like this would be something you absolutely could not laugh about if it happened within the last 100 years. But because it's so old, it's sort of a subject for comedy. Next time. Look, here's a thing you can buy in the supermarket. You can put it on a scrambled egg and then it tastes amazing. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.